Lord, we sing your greatness, and yet, as great as you are, you come so near to us, the word made flesh in Jesus, to live and die and rise for us. And even more, you send your spirit to dwell in us and to draw us to faith. And so, Holy Spirit, we speak again through your word that you would appoint us to Jesus, draw us to faith, encourage us, and send us out in your name. In Jesus' name, amen. This summer, we started last week our sermon series for the summer, which is called Never Heard That One Before. Tried to find some more obscure Bible stories, a lot of them from the, well, we call it the Old Testament. One of my seminary professors prefers, he says, you should call it the B.C. Scriptures. It's every bit God's inspired word just before Jesus. We use the word old, and, and we Americans kind of think we don't like, you don't have to pay attention anymore. Well, no, it's every bit God's word. It's just before Jesus. So a lot of the stories in today's come from that. But I was trying to find some stories that hopefully some of you don't know, aren't familiar with, with, and most of them, I can assure you, I haven't preached a sermon on. So you at least haven't heard me talk about it on a Sunday before. So today's is from Exodus 18, about Moses and Jethro. It's Father's Day, so I thought it a fitting one. It deals with Moses and his relationship with his father-in-law. Let me read it again for you. Oh, yeah, by the way, the way we're going to do this today is look at the story in a lot of different angles. So sometimes uh, I have, some of you have sunglasses like this too. You have like three or four different colors for different types of light. Sometimes uh, for fishing or golfing, or I don't do either of those very well. Uh, but uh, being outside and cutting the grass or something or going biking. And uh, if it's light or light, I might put red ones in and uh, it helps not be so dark if you're, you know, under a canopy mountain biking or something. But what does everything kind of look with red glasses on? That Everything still looks kind of red. And if I put the yellow ones in, everything, I can still see everything, but it looks kind of kind of like that. We're, or another way to think of it is if you look at it, a diamond or a jewel, you can look at it one way and see very beautiful lights and, and angle different things. But all it takes to see something totally different on a gem is what? Just turn it. We're going to do that to this story today. We're going to turn it uh, five different times. It's not five different sermons. I might feel like that. Uh, five different looks at the same story. So I want you to hear it. Because I bet you'll hear a bunch of different things and go, what about that? What about that? What about that? What? So let me read it for you, and then we'll have our first look at it. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel as people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Let's come to verse 10. And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, out of the hand of Pharaoh. He has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. Verse 13. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning to evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing... He said, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? 
Moses said to his father-in-law, it's because the people have come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and the laws of God. And Moses' father-in-law said, what you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now, obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and laws and make them know the way they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for men from all people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy, hate bribes, and place them over people as chiefs of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens, and then let them judge people at times, and every great matter then shall they bring to you, but every small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you, and you'll be able to endure, and all this his people also will go to their place in peace. They'll all be blessed. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all he said. Moses chose able men out of Israel, put them over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and they judged the people. In a hard case, they brought to Moses. Then Moses left his, let his father-in-law depart, and he went away back to his own country. How many of you knew this story? I asked you last week. Who's willing to say, I've never heard it before? Awesome. Cool. First, look at the gem of this story, or uh, with shades of, of a certain color that, that brings out certain things of this story is this, or call it take one, which means when we get to five, organist, that's your cue, right? One is this. Did you know uh, the Bible has leadership principles in it? Like delegation. The Bible's not a book of uh, rules, primarily. It's a story of God saving his people. It's not, a, it's not a leadership book. But how many books written in the last 20 or 30 years essentially say some of the same things, right? Delegation in 1400 B.C. is back in the Bible. I find that interesting. Moses is overworked, overwhelmed with everybody's problems. They've come out of Egypt. He's led them. They're in the desert. They're almost to Mount Sinai, and everybody's got a problem. And they all go to Moses. They have upwards of north of one million people, maybe two to three million people. All saying, uh, he broke my wagon. His ox gored my sheep. Uh, she stole my manna. Or uh, their tent is over the line under my tent space. And he's got to deal with it all day. And his father-in-law, who lives elsewhere, a, a shepherd elsewhere, came and brings Moses' family back to him. He had sent, when he went back to Egypt... To lead them out, he left his wife and children with his father-in-law. So he brings them back. That's the part I skipped in the chapter to read. You can read Exodus 18 on your own, the whole thing. Brings them back, and so he visits, and he says, man, this is not good. And he gives him advice. He says, hey, tell them the rules of what God wants, which, which is good for their community, and find honest people and with integrity and put them you know, in charge of different groups, right? And, and let them solve the small stuff and only bring you the big stuff. And it worked well, and it says it blessed the whole people. Huh, okay. So yes, one, one take you could look at is C, leadership early on in God's people 
and God giving advice to the leader Moses through others, and it's specifically about delegation. Okay, that's one. Uh, put on a different set of lenses, different color, or, or turn the gem. Here's another look at this story, that, and you'll see different things. Second is this. Faith is absolutely a team activity. We need each other. There's no way around it. The New Testament talks all over about the body of Christ. We're a different part, eyes, ears, feet, toes. We, we need each other. We can't live without each other. So yes, you and I are absolutely united with Christ in baptism and in faith and forgiven of all your sins and already made an heir of God's future in heaven with Christ. But you and I are not individual churches on our own. Together we are one body of Christ, and here we are one church. I don't have all the gifts of the Spirit or all the knowledge of everything, and you don't either. And if anyone would have then, it would have been Moses. He was the leader. He was raised in Pharaoh's palace, the best education probably in the world at the time. He was the leader God raised up. He was, in a sense, the Old Testament, B.C. Scriptures, Savior of God's people that God spoke directly to. He had experiences no one else had, and yet even Moses did not have all the answers. He needed others. We need each other. I need your insight. Your Friends can see things in your heart, life, and soul that you always can't. We need each other. We are God's people together as one body. And that also means we need a great dose of humility to be able to accept those words, like Moses did from Jethro. Just accept the advice of others, accept the wisdom. And the hardest thing is probably at times to accept the admonishment from others. And I will tell you, this very sermon I couldn't do without the help of my wife. All week I, I wrestled with, how do I organize this? I, I have all these notes and all these things I'm going to say, and they just seem like a mess on a page. What do I do with them? So eventually I, I went, I said to Amy, like, can you help me, please? And so I explained it to her, and she said, oh, this is what you got to do. And so uh, telling you, you know, the five different ways to look at it as a gemstone, that's her idea. And you would have got a confusing, jumbled mess if I hadn't talked to her. So if you see her, thank her. That's the second take or view or, or look at the gemstone of this story from God's word. Okay, three. The third one has to do with evangelism and sharing your faith. Moses' life you can see in thirds. He lives to be 120, so 40, 40, 40 are kind of the big eras of Moses' life. First 40 years, he's in Egypt, raised by Pharaoh's daughter in Pharaoh's palace. I'll actually look at the beginning of Exodus next week. And then at around age 40, he sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, and he kills the Egyptian. And then Pharaoh finds out and he has to, you know, flee for his life. And so he goes out to the wilderness around age 40. He's in the wilderness 40 years before God calls him to go back to free his people. When he goes out to the wilderness, he comes to a well and meets Jethro's daughters and workers and meets them there. Well, Jethro is described as a priest of Midian. And he's not a Hebrew. He's not Jewish. He's not the line of Abraham. And over time, Jethro comes to believe in the true God through Moses. 
And then you get to today, Exodus 18, when Jethro, it says, heard all that God had done, he bursts out in faith and says, Blessed be Yahweh, the Lord, who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians from the hand of Pharaoh. Now I know that Yahweh is greater than all the gods. So Jethro comes to faith in the true God because of Moses' relationship with him in part. You have son-in-law influencing father-in-law in faith. Do you know that often your greatest influence for the kingdom of God and sharing your faith is probably with those in close relationship to you? Now, the flip side of that is it's really hard too, isn't it? Family can be hard. And it can be very hard because, well, those closest to you and those closest to me really know that I am, as I already confessed this morning, a poor, miserable sinner. And those closest to you know that. At the same time, those closest to you can see you live out the forgiveness of Jesus. And you can have the greatest impact on them often. And so, certainly if you're uh, a father or those of you that have played a fatherly role or had somebody that played a fatherly role in your life, uh, thank God for them. And either in person if you can or on the phone or, or uh, say a prayer of thanks to the Lord. Or if you are a father or have fatherly influence on, on someone today, show them who Jesus is. I think there's not a more noble task of a father than to lead your children to worship, lead them in faith, pray for them, and teach them to follow Jesus. And if you had somebody that did that for you, thank them and thank God for them. Okay, that's look three. Turn it again. Four. So we've looked at one, delegation, leadership. Two, faith is a team thing. We need each other. Three, evangelism, sharing faith. Turn it again. Uh, This is... Maybe the most unique look in the story that was fascinating to me. The fourth look at this story has to do with ethnicity and the heart of God. Did you know that Moses' wife was black? Did you know that? Did you know that means then uh, Moses' father-in-law is also? But yet Moses himself is descended from Abraham Hebrew, Hebrew of Hebrews, as God calls Abraham to be his people. And uh, Moses is, is the Hebrew leader, the B.C. savior of his people from Egypt. Maybe you could make a good case. He's the second most important person in the Bible for that reason. And his wife is a Cushite, which is from south of Egypt, more like Ethiopia, where the family from. And they were known in ancient history Uh, much written about the Cushites for their beautiful, dark skin. So that means Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, also has beautiful, dark, black skin. And it means Moses, the Hebrew leader, the Hebrew savior of this time, is a weird, strange cultural mix. He is Hebrew, DNA, but yet he grows up in Pharaoh's palace as a daughter of... of son of Pharaoh's daughter, and so the Hebrews there see him as Egyptian. And then when he goes to the well and meets Jethro and his daughters, they say, oh, this Egyptian guy at the well. So he's identified as Egyptian, but yet to the, Hebrew, or the Egyptians in the palace, he's a Hebrew, so he doesn't fit either way. And then he meets Jethro and then marries his daughter and his wife, 
is black. And so then his kids, his father-in-law, and then uh, there's a story much later where his sister Miriam sort of gives uh, some grief about it, and God has no room for that. and gets mad at Miriam, his sister. You see, what I find amazing is that God chooses a specific people to be his own people, to save and to show the world his character and his love and his grace, but it's never actually about race. That's a misconception of what it means to be Jewish or Hebrew or God's people in the Old Testament. God chooses a particular people because God is not a generic God for generic people. He's a specific God who calls specific people and dies for specific, real, particular sins of yours and mine and dies a real, specific, horrible, bloody death on a cross for you and me and saves real people from real sins and in Exodus saves saves real people from real slavery and real abuse. God is God in the flesh on earth for you and me. So God chooses a specific people to be his own, but it's actually never about race itself. It's about faith and trust. From the beginning, those that trust in God are in the family, are in the people in the nation. Before this, Abraham, talking about last week, even Hagar, Sarah's servant with whom Abraham has a child, Ishmael, she's Egyptian. And yet when she goes off into the desert, she calls on God and God answers her. She calls God the God who sees. Those who trust and believe are, are welcomed by God into the family. So some of you also know, I think I got my date right, June 19th. Uh, in our nation's history is Juneteenth, now a federal holiday. If you don't know what that means, it means in 1865... The news of 1863 Emancipation Proclamation hadn't reached everywhere under uh, Confederate influence. So it's when the news that slavery is ended and slaves in the U.S. were free reached the southernmost tip, Galveston, Texas, of Confederate influence. So the scourge and sin of slavery in the U.S. was over legally. But in the U.S., it was absolutely race-oriented, race-based. It was racial. It was people that came from Africa. However, historically, everywhere that Christianity has spread, over time, slavery and racism have ended. Now, it doesn't mean it didn't take a while, and it doesn't mean there was other issues there, but uh, even atheist historians have documented this. Everywhere that the gospel has spread, over time, racism and slavery has ended. So Moses leaves his family for a while because meets God at the burning bush, says, you're going to go save my people. So he has his wife and kids who are adults. Stay with his father-in-law. He goes to Egypt, 10 plagues, Passover, that whole thing, brings them out, and they've come back out. They're God's fresh new people saved from slavery. They're not even to Mount Sinai yet. They're beginning of the people on the journey to the promised land about to be at Sinai, and then the rest of Moses' family, wife and children, are joined back to him. Do you see how significant that is? His wife, who he married, who has dark black skin from Ethiopia area, with his children and his father-in-law, and they are welcomed in as a part of God's family, the people saved from Egypt Because God chooses a specific people to be his own, but it's not about race. It's about trusting the true God. That's the fourth look. Fifth, last look. 
has to do with the slow work of God. If you pay attention to the years, dates, ages of people in this story and in this chapter, God takes a long time, doesn't he? And how often have you and I felt like God is really slow to act? So Moses' first third of his life, he's in Egypt, in the palace, then he flees. And the second third, 40 years from age 40 to age 80, is in the wilderness. Much around Jethro's family, with his wife and family, but he's in the wilderness. He's a shepherd, 40 years. His preparation period to go back and lead his people out is 40 years. Does it really take that long to prepare somebody to do God's work? Maybe it does. But God, why why take so long? Or how about God's people that we hear have been crying out for generation after generation? God, save us. If we are your people, it doesn't look like it. We're slaves. 400 years. And they cried out, and they cried out, and probably said, God, where are you? Or are you? Or how about Moses telling Jethro about the true God? First meets him at 40, and now it's 40 years later when Jethro confesses faith in the true God. What took so long? God, I've prayed for this person to, to know Jesus for, for so long. How, how, what's taking so long? How often have you said to God or just in your heart, why hasn't my prayer been answered already? Or God, why haven't you acted already? God, what's taking so long? How often does the work of God seem slow? And yet at the same time, God is faithful. God doesn't abandon his people then or now. He saves them then and now just as he saved them from slavery in Egypt. You and I are saved by Jesus. By his bloody crucifixion, his glorious resurrection, the greater Moses, that is Jesus. And our greater exodus, we are reunited to our heavenly father. And yes, the work of God in your life and my life can seem slow, and yet God is faithful every day. His word works slowly and daily. And we gather around the table to get our manna for our wilderness. And it may not look like much, but for those who trust in Jesus, it is the very work of God to forgive and to renew and to equip and to send you. So may the peace of God that does go beyond our understanding guard and keep your hearts and minds in faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.